What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. Chapter 19, verse 19. We're going Old Testament today, right? While you're turning there, let me tell you what's going on. Elijah has had this crazy encounter, right? So there's been a drought. There's a bad king, a really bad queen named Jezebel. And Elijah goes up against their prophets. And we call this the showdown at at Mount Carmel. Basically, um, God proves that he's the real God. It's actually the first story where you see biblical trash talk. Elijah talks trash to the, to the prophets of Baal. It's actually really funny what he says because he's like, well, maybe, maybe you should yell louder. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom is kind of what he says. And then uh, a God shows himself to be God. Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal. And then, oh, he gets this letter from the queen. And it's basically saying this, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. So imagine this. He had this big, big, huge victory over these prophets. And then he gets this letter from this one lady. And the Bible says he runs for his life. He goes and he hides in a cave. And here's where he had this big encounter. Is it says in the cave, it says that there was a windstorm that tore the mountains, that split the mountains. And it says, but God wasn't in those. And an earthquake came. And it shook. And God wasn't in that. And then a firestorm came. And God wasn't in that. But then he hears a still small whisper. And God says, what are you doing? Isn't it crazy that we often look for God in the very big moments, but it's often in the whispers that he speaks? Is Is it possible that we're too distracted by everything going on that we never hear the whisper? So he sends them to the house of Shaphat to anoint the next prophet. This is where we're going to pick up. Right. First Kings chapter 19, verse 19 says, so Elijah went and found Elisha. Let me break this down because this could be confusing. Elijah is first. Then Elisha. J comes before S. Okay. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Last week we talked about what busyness has done to us. Today, I want to have a different conversation. I want to talk about distraction. I want to talk about distraction. Return your neighbor and say, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you for salvations. God, we thank you for baptisms. God, we thank you for the birth of Jesus. God, and and realistically, we thank you that we, we woke up this morning and we took a breath. God, and we're believing uh, in you for big things. Uh, and, and more importantly, I, I pray that our heart believes to participate with you in big things in 2022. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I think it's safe to say that since the invention of smart anything, we've been a distracted people. Would you guys agree? Smartphones, smart watches, smart houses. Like since these things have come up, we, we just essentially become distracted. Um, one of the things I like to do with my staff is I do this thing. It's called the 360 review. So in most workplaces, this is how it works. You usually have a yearly review from your superior in which they tell you how your performance was that year. Anybody ever gone through a yearly review, right? Some people, I've seen people like panic. I've seen people lose hair, get nervous, lose sleep over yearly reviews. A 360 review is the opposite. You see, I, I believe it's my role, my job as a, as a leader to grow and develop. Craig Rochelle says something I love. He says, as the leader gets better, everybody gets better. So a 360 review is uh, an opportunity for my staff to actually give me a review anonymously. It sounds kind of scary. 
And, and realistically, the first time that you do it and you see some of their replies, you try to justify and get mad. But the truth is, is you invited on yourself. Matt, don't get mad. So, um, well, here's one of the things that I've learned is in the review, one of the things that I've scored the lowest on was listening. <laughs> yeah, you could tell which ones are my staff members. Listening, listening. Here's what I've come to find out. It's actually, uh, how many of you know perception is, is other people's reality? So how people perceive something is, is real to them. So the truth is, this is what we've learned, is it's not that I don't listen, but every time I pull my phone out when somebody's talking to me, they feel as if I'm not listening. It's when I'm distracted that my team feels as if I'm not paying attention. I remember uh, uh, when Alexis and I were courting, or date, whatever it was, we were, we, were, we were going on a date, right? We were going on a date, and... Uh, I was the youth pastor at the time, and we were driving down the road, and my phone was blowing up. I was getting text messages from youth kids that I was really close with, and then she like stopped me. We're at like a red light. She goes, hey, so are you on a date with me, or are you on a date with your phone? I was like, ooh, what a start. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's be real. I, so like, it, it, it's crazy. I, just, I think we're distracted people. Uh, we were talking about this in, in pre-service. You know, when I watch, if I have to watch our service online, I don't watch on Facebook. The reason I don't watch on Facebook is if you get a notification, guess what you're going to do? Click it. That notification's a distraction. For anybody like me, um, where if you see a red bubble on your home screen, it drives you crazy. For you guys that have 23,000 emails that you haven't looked at, you give me anxiety. Right? <laughs> It, it drives me nuts, but those red dots are a distraction. Let me tell you um, some just interesting statistics. On average, a smartphone is picked up 27 times a day. That's just the average. Some people pick them up as much as 150 times a day. Let me break that down. That's once every nine minutes. The smartphone is picked up once every nine minutes. I would propose that the, the younger you are, the more likely you are to pick that up. That's not negating me. I pick my phone up a lot. Right? Another statistic. In 2004, in the United States, an estimated 559 people had to seek help from walking into stationary objects while texting and walking, not driving. That's, it's, <laughs> we, we play nine square on Sundays like, oh, you can't text and play nine square. It's dangerous. 559 people had to go to the hospital because they were texting and walking and walked into stationary objects. By 2010, that number increased to 1,500. Oh, what six years can do, right? What's the, in 2013, a study at the University of Essex showed that the mere fact that a phone was in the room was enough reason for two people to not feel close. I would propose that this is essentially what happens when, when I talk to you guys about my not listening. When my staff talks to me and I pull out my phone, it feels like I'm not giving them my attention. So this is crazy because this one just said that if a phone was in the room, it felt like they weren't close, as if they weren't near, as if there wasn't any uh, really close relationship. Um, the last one, a 2012 study showed that younger adults switch tasks. So this doesn't even have to do with phones. They switch tasks on average 27 times an hour. 27 times an hour. For older adults, it's about 17. So we can't even stay doing the same task for a long amount of time. We change tasks, we change thoughts, we change how we're going to do tasks multiple times. I would propose that distraction is becoming a part of our everyday life. Would you guys agree? Here's the question I want to ask. What are we missing because we're distracted? Like, Think about the people we're missing out on. Because we're distracted. The relationships. I mean, it, 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 let's, be, let's be completely honest. What is the most valuable thing in the kingdom of God? People. Jesus didn't die for gold. He paved the streets with them. Right? He didn't die for business ideas. He didn't die for, for Bugattis or iPhones or tablets or technology or all these other things. Jesus died on the cross for people. So if we're not valuing people because we're distracted, is it possible that we may not have the same value system as God? Right? Distractions may be costing us relationships. Distractions could be costing us opportunities. And more importantly, many people, the question that they're asking in this life is, why am I here? 
Why was I created? Is it possible that distraction might keep you from being focused on why God designed you or the reason that God designed you? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, don't get distracted. So here's what we have. Going back to the Bible, going back to the story, we have this amazing story of one prophet who's about to anoint the next one, right? That's what it means when he throws his cloak over Elisha. Is like, hey, you're the, you're the next guy in line. So basically, this is what he's doing, is he's giving him an option, because how many of you know purpose is an option, right? Purpose is an option. To partner with God, to do what God's created to do, it requires your yes, It requires you to choose it. So what he's doing is he's giving Elisha an option to walk in the purpose that God gave him. Here's what we got to understand. If you want to understand, uh, if you're asking the question, why did God create me? What's the reason? What's the purpose he gave me? You also need to know that purpose has a cost. Let me, it gets real quiet when you say that. Because what we really want is we want purpose to just kind of happen naturally as I go around the the decisions that I'm already making. Like, realistically, for a lot of us, we're okay saying yes at Jesus and then stopping there. (laughs) Right? uh, the, The term mentioned is it's my fire insurance. How many of you understand to be a Jesus follower, you have to follow him? That's the verb attached to Jesus follower. But many of us, what we like is the convenience of saying yes to Jesus and then living my life in the direction I'm already doing it. What ends up happening is when what I believe conflicts with God. Then we're like, ah, you know, I don't, we try to justify it. That was then. That's not supposed to be for now. Jesus said it. You know, there's a story one time I was reading in a book. It was written by Kyle Adelman. And he gets this email from this guy. Um, and, and this guy sends it, he says, hey, pastor, I'm not coming to your church anymore. And, and kind of sends it sincerely. That's a, that don't, if you send me an email like that, don't put sincerely. You're not being sincere. <laughs> You're leaving. You're mad. It's okay. Right? Uh, but he puts sincerely. So, so Kyle Eidelman does what I would have done. He sends him an email back. He says, hey, man, I hate to hear that you're leaving the church. Let me ask you the question. Why, why are you leaving? Talk to me. Did, you, did we do something wrong? Did we offend you? He said, no, actually, um, service was great. You know, worship was awesome. And, and really, your messages are so good. I just felt like they're trying to interfere with my life. <laughs> so you're telling me that you want to leave the church because the message or the message of the kingdom or being a kingdom citizen is trying to change the decisions that you're already making? But how many of us have had that struggle? Maybe not with leaving the church, but like, I want to be a Jesus follower, but I feel like Jesus wants me to be a different person. Remember, he made you, not you. You know what I mean? Jesus does call us to be a different person. It's basically the same as saying, like, Jesus, I trust you just as long as I can stay the way that I am. Just as long as I can not change. Let me do what I want to do. Okay, there's several stories throughout the Bible where people do what they want to do, and it doesn't end well. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at the story. I want to look at the story today. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. I've got three points, but there are three distractions that I think keep us from walking in the purpose that God's called us. Three distractions that I think we face that are extremely relevant. Two of them, or one of them is moving forward, two are looking backwards. The first distraction is the distraction of the cost. The distraction of the cost. I think the distraction of what it costs keeps us from walking in the purpose that God's called us to. When I, when I uh, lived in Amarillo, um, you know, I was bivocational when I was on staff at the loft. And one of the jobs that I'd gotten was I was a personal trainer. Um, now, what I love about being a personal trainer is I started, when I started, it was like the perfect time. It was the month of April. So uh, in the month of April, everybody's trying to get look, like, look good for the beach. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm like, yes, people are paying for gym memberships. They want to look good. They want abs on the beach. I don't know if they're going to change how they eat, but they still want them. You know what I mean? So I was super excited to get this. And then, you know, after beach season, it gets into Thanksgiving and Christmas, which I love because you can eat whatever you want to eat and nobody can say anything to you. But then January comes around. And as a personal trainer, you love January. Why? Because everybody's New Year's resolution is, uh, you know, I want to lose. I want to lose some weight. I want to. So as a personal trainer going in uh, in April, I am super excited. Here's what's interesting. Did you know that most people give up on their New Year's resolutions by the middle of February? Like 96% of people give up on their New Year's resolutions 
by the middle of February. So let me explain how this works in the gym. The way that it works is that people have this idea or this concept or this perceived effort <laughs> that it costs to get in shape and costs to, to get abs or to, to look good or to lose that weight. And because it doesn't happen by mid-February, they end up canceling their gym membership. It's basically, this is how I thought it was going to be, but it actually costs me more. So uh, in the fitness world, what we say is this, you can't out-train a bad diet, right? You, how many of you understand? This is, this is amazing because I think fitness relates to faith so much. Um, when it comes to fitness, it's 80-20. The way that we live is like it's 80% in the gym, 20% in the kitchen. It's actually 80% in the kitchen, 20% in the gym, right? It's the opposite. It, it, realistically, how does this relate to faith? What you put into your life really matters. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? You can't go and, and work out hours upon hours upon hours and eat terrible food for your body and expect to have abs unless you're 12. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to be completely honest, you can't do that. You have to put in quality food to get the output that you're expecting. Listen, in your faith walk, you've got to get the word of God in your life in order to see faith show out outwardly. You have to get it in. Metamorphosis, which is what the, word, the Bible says in Romans 12, for don't be conformed, but be transformed, is a change from the inside out. You want to grow in your faith? You have to let God change you from the inside first, and then you'll see it come out of you. Many of us use the Bible as behavior modification, which is why we think God is a list of rules. If it's just about changing my behavior, but never changing my heart, then there's no wonder that I don't know how, how God is. But if you want to change how you live your life, you've got to change how you perceive God and how you understand God. Many of us, we think of God as wrathful and graceful. In the, wrathful in the Old Testament, graceful in the New. But the Bible says that He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So to have that mentality that God is wrathful and graceful in two separate entities is actually unbiblical. You understand that? He's the same throughout the entire Bible. He's the same, but we won't know that if we don't get that inside of us. So for many, for many people, going back to the fitness analogy, because it costs too much, they give up on their goals. Because it, How many of us have given up on growing in our faith because it costs too much? Right? We give up on, on the goals that we have for our faith because it's just, it's just too hard. It, it costs... Too much. It requires too much energy. Requires too much time. It requires me to love people. <laughs> people drive me crazy. Well, God loved them too. You might drive him crazy as well. Still died for you. You know what I mean? Like the cost is just too high. For Elisha to follow Elijah in this story, it has a great cost. What's the cost? Well, the Bible says that he's got 12 teams of oxen. 12 teams of oxen. What does that mean? It means his family's wealthy. His family has a ton of money. So think about this. Elisha lives in a very wealthy family. And before we get to this story, I just told you about how Elijah was asleep in a cave. So for Elisha to say yes to this call, to, to follow God, he's trading that lifestyle for this one. You know what I mean? There's times in the Bible where Elijah, the only way he gets his food is because the birds feed him. Anybody signing up for that? No? Right? It comes at a great cost. He's going to leave this lifestyle for that one. How many of us would have chose that? Everyone be real? No, we wouldn't. Why? Because having money is comfortable. What's the second cost? Well, he lost his job. Cost him his job. Right? He's seen uh, working when Elijah shows up on the scene. He leaves the oxen right there to run after him. You know what this reminds me of? This is awesome. It reminds me of the disciples. You got James, John, Peter, Andrew. They're working. James and John are working with their dad. So this is even, they have like a big father-son powwow moment. Jesus walks by. He says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It doesn't say that they bartered with each other. Like they flipped coins. They prayed about it. How many God calls you? To, oh, let me pray about it. It doesn't say that they do that. Jesus said, follow me. What do they do? They dropped their nets and left everything. Yeah, I love watching youth kids say yes to Jesus. Why? Because when they do, 
they're in their mind, they're like, I'm going to go change the world. When did we lose that, adults? <laughs> when did we lose that fire? Well, I just caught too hard. It's not in their life. And if you look at the stuff that our students are facing, it's way harder for them right now than it was for us. Y'all didn't have MySpace or Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or all these other things that forced you to compare yourself to other people. No, you had a landline. <laughs> you had VCRs. You mean the temptations? Here's something we have to be careful of. You can't compare your childhood to theirs because your temptations are very different from theirs. But you can pour into their life. In fact, if you want to see the next generation rise up, sitting in the pews and criticizing them is not the way to do it. Hosting events, expecting them to come is not the way to do it. You want to speak into their life, you go run to where they are. Because when they say yes to Jesus, they're eager to run to where everybody else is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? These guys, these fishermen, they, didn't, they dropped everything. Basically, their mindset is this. I don't care what the cost is. They didn't sit there and ask, hey, what's this going to, what's this going to cost me? Where am I going to sleep tonight? What am I going to eat? Right? They didn't say, well, is it going to be comfortable? No, it was this. It was this mentality. Jesus walked by. They said, follow me. They dropped everything and they said, I'm coming. One of my, uh, since having Bradley, Bradley loves um, movies with music, right? So when he was a baby, one of his favorite movies was Moana. Moana's a really good movie. But then he, he, he kind of grew up into um, this, this movie that he loved called The Greatest Showman. Anybody seen The Greatest Showman? Oh, it's phenomenal. I don't like musicals. I love this. I can sing this, the album all day, right? In this, it's kind of the invention of the circus. It's kind of uh, a musical telling the invention of the circus. And in this story, Hugh Jackman's character is the guy that kind of creates the circus. And then you have another character named Zac Efron, who he, he's kind of this, um, he's the son of a wealthy family. And what he does is he writes plays and draws in um, the, the rich, wealthy community. So uh, Hugh Jackman's character is trying to recruit Zac Efron's character because he's like, listen, I, if you can come work with me, we could draw in all demographics, not just the, the poor end of town, but we could draw in the, the rich side of town. And Zac Efron's response to him is, well, I'm comfortable. <laughs> Basically, like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know I have a lot of money and I've got a big inheritance coming. In which uh, Hugh Jackman's character says this, comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort is the... Is it possible that we've gotten comfortable here? Is it, is it comfortable? Or is it possible that, that that's what's happened with our faith is we've gotten comfortable where we are? You know what I mean? Like, let's ask this question. We're going into a new year on Saturday. How many of us are sitting in the same exact spot we were in our faith a year ago? Why? I think that's got to be the next question. If, if the landscape looks the same, is it possible because you haven't moved? Listen, not that God hasn't moved, but that you haven't moved. Is it possible that you just got comfortable? Is it possible that the American church has got comfortable? I was listening to a pastor preach um, a couple weeks ago, and he talked about the different pandemics that have, that have happened throughout life, plagues happening, all this other stuff. He said, do you know where the church was when these things happened? They weren't in their homes. They were actually the ones building hospitals. So essentially, what it, when stuff like this happened, the church didn't run away from uh, plagues and viruses and all this other stuff. They actually ran to them to serve and to love those that were sick and afflicted, despite the cost despite the fact that it might cost them their lives. Is it possible we've gotten comfortable? Right? It's easy to get comfortable, though, when there's no persecution. You want me to tell you when the church got a little riled up? When they said we couldn't meet anymore. But how many of us have the same mental mindset that we had before they took the church away from us? Or the ability to meet in person, where it's like, oh, I don't know, we can go this Sunday, I guess. <laughs> crazy. They try to take it away and we get mad about it. They give it back to us and we fall back in the same seat that we were before it happened. Why? Because comfort's the enemy of progress. As long as it didn't cost me anything, I'm okay with it, right? You know what I mean? It, it, as long as it doesn't take anything away from me. Here's the truth. I think if we were to go and ask Peter, Andrew, James, and John if leaving their nets to follow Jesus was worth it, I, th I guarantee you they would say yes. And many of them did not uh, have nice deaths. They didn't die from old age. 
some thrown off chapels, beheaded, hung upside down on crosses. Was it worth it? I guarantee you Peter would say it was. What? But it cost a lot. That's all right. Jesus is worth the cost. Jesus is worth the cost. So we've got the cost uh, of wealth. We've got the cost of his job. The last one is it cost him his relationships. Elisha, it says that he ran back and he kissed his parents goodbye. So he ran back and he, he basically said to them, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go take this calling. And he gave it all up, right? Here's the question I would ask. Why? Why was he willing to give it up? Because he was going after what, he, what God had created him to do. He was going after what God created him to do. You understand, if you're going to go after purpose, it requires you to depend on God, not your strength. If you're going to go after purpose, it requires you to depend, to depend on God, not your logic. To depend on God's provision, not your finances, bank statements, or retirement. If you're going after purpose, it's about God. Why? Because God is the one that gave it to you. But he didn't give it to you for you. He gave it for, to you for everybody that you were supposed to encounter. So here's something we need to understand. Salvation is a free gift. Can we all come into agreement with that? Salvation is a free gift. Purpose costs you everything. To ask the question, God, why did you make me? What is my purpose? What is my reason for being here? It's going to cost you everything. It requires you to lay down you and choose him. It requires you to lay down you and to choose him, right? So what I love about Elisha is he didn't hesitate. He, go, he goes and tells Elijah, hey, I'm going to go say bye to my family, runs to his family, says his goodbyes, burns the plows, and basically said, Here's, he says, let's go. Here's what's crazy. When you look at the story of Elisha, how many of you understand that Elisha did double the miracles that Elijah did? His yes had a greater impact. Everybody say greater, greater. How many of y'all like that word, greater? Like greater sounds fun, right? You know what I mean? If somebody was like, hey, I'm gonna, your bank account's going to be greater. Some of y'all would be like, sign me up. <laughs> You're, I'm going to cook food for you. It's going to be greater. I'm going to give you this. It's going to be greater. But what if greater is something that you're called to participate in? For example, one of my favorite texts, and I actually think that this is the Bible verse for next year, is John 14, 12. Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit being inside of him, which is the context that we need. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even, everybody say it with me, greater. Oh, y'all do better than that. And greater. One more time. Ready? Greater. Because I am going to be, have, how many of y'all have like woke up in the morning and you're like, I'm going to do Greater. Nobody. <laughs> you understand that this is, this is what he said. Anyone who believes in me will do the same. How many of y'all believe in Jesus? Can we raise our hands? Okay, this is talking to you. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and greater. Now, if you're me, the next question I would ask is, what's greater than what Jesus has done? You know what I mean? Like, Jesus rose people from the dead. What is he talking about? Here's what you need to see. Greater is not talking about um, better than Jesus. Greater is talking numerically, as in more. Why? Like I said, he was just talking about the Holy Spirit. So, when you said yes to Jesus, how many of you understand you got the Holy Spirit? Every miracle Jesus did was through the Holy Spirit. So when he said, those who believe in me, he's speaking to a future, like he's talking to his disciples in that moment about what's going to happen in the future, about his Holy Spirit being in his believers. So greater is actually more in number. Right? How many of you understand you were called to greater? You were called to participate in greater. You were called to participate in moving with Jesus, walking in Greater. And here's what you got to understand. I put this post out because we need to believe this and come to this realization. But for many of us, we've read the Bible as if the Bible's talking about our greatness. That's not what the Bible's about. The Bible is not about how great you are. The Bible is about how good and great God is. But the second thing that I'm about to tell you is also very true. Even though the Bible is about how great God is and how much he loves you, you need to understand he still chose you. God's plan for humanity was to co-rule the earth with humanity. That's what you see in the Garden of Eden. We mess up. 
See a ton of mess ups? We get back to the cross. It started with a tree. It ends with a tree. Get back to the cross. And then the movement of the church is the Holy Spirit inside of us participating with what God has already mandated, mandated us to do in the garden. It's to walk with Him. To co-rule with Him. But somewhere in this line, we forgot we were called to participate with Jesus. <laughs> Where you are in your family, you're called to do greater. Here's the danger. This is why we have to understand that the Bible is not about your greatness. Because as long as the Bible becomes about your greatness, when you fail, you make it all about you. When you mess up, you make it all about you. If it's about his greatness, then we understand that God may love me and grow me and maybe even discipline me through it. But he ultimately, the goal of it is as a loving father to get me to who he's called me to be. That's why we got to understand the Bible is not about us. We read stories like David versus Goliath, and we're like, yeah, I'm going to go slay a giant. And I'm like, you're not David. Jesus is David. We were the soldiers on the side afraid to fight the giant. It's crazy. It's crazy. Here's the question. Has the distraction of the cost kept you from participating with Jesus? Kept you from participating, moving in the same direction he's called you to go? Second one, the distraction of the past. The distraction of the past. This is a big one. Verse 21 says, Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. So after Elijah tells Elisha to think about what he did, his response was to come back and burn his plow. It was to go back to, his, to, to the tool he was using, to something that was associated with what he was doing before his calling, and to get rid of it. It was... To burn it. He basically used it to make an altar. <laughs> Why is that important? Because we need to understand that to go forward, sometimes you need to burn up some things from your past. If you want to progress in the next year, there are some things that you've got to burn up from this year. That you've got to let go of. Right? But too many people have disqualified themselves because of the past, because of what happened this year, because of what happened in 2019, because of what happened when you were three. Right? We look back and we're like, man, I want to help with God, but I'm too dirty. I'm too filthy. I've messed up here. I said this. I tweeted that. I thought this. God can't use me because I've done these things. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Right? If the church isn't for the perfect but for the broken, then all of us, we all sit in the same seat, if you want to be completely honest. For us to look down the row and judge somebody else puts us in the wrong. Why? Because you have a past just like I do. Right? We all have a past. We've all struggled. We've all messed up. Right? But we need to understand that God, Jesus eliminated all of that. And when it comes to purpose, if you want to know that God's called you to something and you try to let your past rob you, the question I would ask is, if I don't go, then who's going to go? If I don't do it, then who's going to? You want me to tell you what I think we've been saying? It's okay if I don't, somebody else will take care of it. If everybody has that mindset, then nothing gets done. You hear me? It's okay if I don't, somebody else will take care of it. And then your neighbor's thinking, it's okay if I don't, somebody else take care of it. Down the road, it's okay if I don't, through the church. It's okay if I don't, through the community. It's okay if I don't. Is it possible that there's so much hurt and brokenness because that's our mentality? It's okay if I don't do anything. Somebody else will take care of it. Here's the question I would ask. Is it possible God brought it to your attention so that you could handle it? Right? Is it possible that God brought it to your attention so that you could handle it? This is uh, one of my favorite verses. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Now, this is interesting. I look up the word anyone in the Greek, and this is what it means. Anybody. Anybody. Not anybody that you see is okay in your eyes. This is a perspective from, from God. Anybody who is in Christ, anyone, everyone, the guy that murders, right? Jesus, didn't Jesus forgive a, a murderer of the cross, like right, right next to him? You know what I mean? Say, hey, you'll be with me in paradise. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Anybody who steals, 
Anybody who lies. He says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the past has come. What does that mean? You're free from it. That's what baptism is. That's what I love about baptism. We use this, to, this verse to talk about baptism. Is your sin went in the grave, right? When we lay somebody down, it's like Jesus going in the grave. Well, when I read the story of the gospel, when Jesus goes into the grave, he's the only thing that came out. The sins of the world didn't come out with him. He defeated them. They're left in the grave. What does that mean? Is if Jesus dealt with it, don't pick it back up. You are not your past. This actually says that your past is gone and you're a new creation. I've had several conversations um, with people. They're like, Matt, you know, like I've said yes to Jesus, but people think about how I was in my past life and how I used to do this and how I used to do that. And I'm like, well, that's cool because the beauty of Jesus is he gives you a new canvas to paint your life. If they can't get beyond your past, that's okay. Let them go. They don't need to be around. But you're a new creation in Christ. And you need to understand that Jesus is more righteous than you ever were a sinner. And the same grace that saves you will be the grace that sustains you. It'll be the grace that keeps you moving forward. Grace is not a, a uh, I can mess up. It's okay. I'm covered by grace. No, grace says, hey, you messed up, but let me show you where you're called to go. Grace is what actually empowers you to, to walk out this uh, imitating Christ. It's, it empowers you to walk out um, sanctification. Right? It's not this like, ah, oh, I messed up. I'm saved by grace. I'll pray about it later. No, 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 no. If that's our mentality, we don't understand grace. Grace isn't just a, a rag to wipe the slate clean. Grace is the, the empowerment so that you can walk through life clean. Does it happen overnight? No. Will we mess up? Yes. Even if you have a title. Even if your name's pastor or whatever. You mess up. Right? But it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that convicts us to look more and more like Christ. That's grace. Grace is, it pushes us to look more and more like Him. Right? Some of us need to burn the plow of our mistakes so that we can walk into the future that He's called us to. There's one more pass. Um, distraction, and I think it's one that we overlook, but it's the distraction of the glory days. The distraction of the glory days. It's basically the mindset that my best days are behind me. Man, I, I was so good when I was younger, right? I like what Paul writes in Philippians. He says this uh, in Philippians chapter three. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take in a hold of it. What that means, what he's talking about is perfection. His goal is perfection. He says, I don't consider myself to have taken a hold of perfection, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is head, ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Okay, he's got a goal and he's got a calling. Where's the calling? Heavenward. Who called him there? Christ Jesus. But he says, listen, I haven't obtained perfection. Has anybody in here obtained perfection? No. Don't raise your hand. You're lying in church, right? Has anybody? No, we haven't. So what does he say he does? I forget the past and I strain towards and I strain forward towards what is ahead. Strain. Did you notice that word strain? Has anybody ever strained before? It's not easy. Usually straining requires some kind of resistance, some kind of exertion, right? But he said, I forget the past. Now, here's what's interesting is I don't think Paul is just talking about the bad of his past. Did Paul have a bad past? Yes. Dude was a murderer. His name was Saul, and he was commissioned to go and hunt down Christians. How many of y'all would want to forget that? I'm like, sign me up for that. You know what I mean? But Paul had some good things in his past, too. Paul raised up disciples. Timothy was like a son to him. He writes two letters to him, establishes him over the head of the church of Ephesus. Titus. There are others that are going on that Paul raises up. Paul healed people, Right? He, uh, he delivered the gospel to, to large groups of people. He planted churches. I would say Paul had a lot of really good stuff happen in his life. So basically what I think Paul's kind of getting at, he's like, I'm not going to get stuck on the good moments because there's more good things that God wants to do through me. Right? The glory days is the best things that God's ever done in my life is behind me. I would propose that that is a lie from the devil. I think as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's more to come. The only thing is we've got to choose to partner with him, right? 
If you, and here's something that kind of was going through my mind is if you hang out to only what you've done, then you're going to miss out on what you could continue to do. If you hang out to, to only the good things that you've done in your past, maybe you led people to Jesus when you were a teenager. Maybe you were highly involved in serving, you know, a while back. And now you're just like, man, I just don't have the energy. I don't have to do this. As long as you look backwards, you'll never look forward, never run forward. Right. It, it's the equivalent of this. It's like trying to drive a car staring through your rearview mirror. What are you going to do? You're going to get a wreck. Why? Because all I'm doing is looking backwards. There's a reason that your windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror. Because you're supposed to strain forward. You're supposed to keep moving forward. There's a saying in leadership, I love this, is it's the greatest obstacle to future success is current success. The greatest obstacle to future success is current success. What is that saying? That as long as I focus just on what I'm doing now, then I may miss out on what we're capable of doing in the future. Essentially, this is something that we have to understand as culture evolves and culture moves forward is eventually what was working at one point will stop working. We have to shift. We have to adapt. We have to change. Here's what you, we also need to think about. We can shift, change, and adapt while keeping the main thing the main thing. Do you hear me? You don't have to compromise to change. We've just got to be willing to move. The greatest obstacle to future success is current success. It's getting stuck here because what's eventually here will be behind me. Right? But Paul said, I forget the past and I strain towards the goal which God's called me heavenward. Braden, if you go ahead and come up. Why do we not need to get held up in the past? Well, Jesus would say something. Um, he'll have a, a young man run up to him and he'll say, Jesus, I want to follow you. But first, let me go and tell my people, everybody at my house, goodbye. This is what Jesus said. This is Jesus speaking. He says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's salty. Jesus said this. This isn't like Old Testament writing. Like the first story, we're looking at the Old Testament. This is Jesus. All he wanted to do was go and say bye to everybody in his family. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Listen, if you want to follow me and you're not and you're wanting to look backwards and run backwards, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? It sounds kind of harsh. Right? Jesus, you're not even going to let me go say bye. Elijah let Elisha go say bye to his family. You're not even going to let me go say bye? Why would Jesus say this? Because looking back will keep you from walking into things that God's called you to. You, you know what happens a lot of times when we run backwards? We stay there. Let me, Jesus... Like, I'm going to follow you, but I need to go take care of this in my past. And you go back there, it's the equivalent of Israel going back to Egypt. When we run backwards, when we run to the things behind there, oftentimes what, it, what we end up doing is we find a chair and we sit there and we get comfortable. Why? Because I know this. To go forward requires me to walk in uncertainty. To go forward requires me to trust somebody beyond myself. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. And Braden's taking all the angry emails this week. If you are depending on your logic, your strength, and what you know, that's not faith. That's autonomy. It's autonomy. If you are in uncharted waters. If you're in a territory that doesn't look familiar, and for many of us, we're asking the question, what's next? Let me encourage you by saying you're in the greatest place to grow in your faith. Why? Because it requires me to trust God. It requires me to trust God. One of my favorite texts, says that your word, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. The way that I see that is sometimes God shows you the path. He lights it up. But I would propose majority of the time, he lights up step by step. He functions more like a lamp. What does that mean? 
in order for me to step forward, I got to trust what he's lit up right in front of me. Well, where does it lead? I don't know. Isn't that what faith is about? Trusting that God's going to get you where he's called you to go? Listen, I believe this. It's not wrong to have vision. It's not wrong to have a plan. But wisdom is knowing when to deter from your plan to follow his. Said man makes plans in his hearts, but it's the Lord's way that comes to pass. Is it possible that your vision isn't God's? Well, how can you tell? Well, sometimes it's because I'm in, in, in uncertainty. I don't know what's next. So what do you do? You talk to the one who's lighting up the path. Right? Is it possible that maybe we would have responded differently in 2019 and maybe early 2020 if we'd have just tried to trust God instead of seek out answers on the internet and news sources and all this other stuff? You notice their stuff changes and shifts every day, but the Bible's been around for a really long time. How do you tell if something's trustworthy? Well, it's consistent. It stands the test of time. Right? Man, God's been here. Well, I just want to know. Okay, I'll give you something that you can know. You can have confidence and know that God's going to lead you where He's going to go, but you may not know what the path looks like. Well, Matt, what if, what if I get scared? Okay, that's why He gave you the Holy Spirit. God never told you that you won't have fear. He just tells you to have courage when you do. Listen, I get afraid. I mean, things happen in life. You get scared. Juju ran a fever for three days this week. For some of y'all that have had kids, you're like, that's not a big deal. For us, that's never happened. You get scared. My question is, where do you run to when you are? Oh, I run to Google. I rub to WebMD. No, it's not worth it. I'll show you my favorite part as we get ready to wrap up. Verse 19, he said this, Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then he walked away. What does this mean? For one prophet to throw his cloak over another is him saying, hey, you're the next guy. You're the next thing. And how many of you know the cloak's been thrown over your shoulders? Think about it. The Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Whose commission is that? It's the church. The cloak has been thrown over your shoulders to go, not to sit. It's to go. It's to be a light. It's to point Jesus, point people to Jesus, point them to the character of God. He chose us to take up the mantle, to walk with him. You understand that it's when we walk with Jesus that we walk in the greater that he was talking about. And to deliver the message that he delivered 2,000 years ago. Right? And this is the truth. This is why we need to have this conversation. It's because the devil's going to try to convince you it's not worth the cost. He'll convince you to get comfortable. He'll convince you to just facilitate a seat on Sundays. He'll get you to disqualify you for what you've done in the past or tell you that God's done working with you so you get stuck in the glory days. Why? Because if I'm distracted, then I'll take myself out of the game. That's it. The devil wants you out of the game. It does. Why does walking in purpose matter? Because it impacts everybody that you were designed to come across and it points them to the King of Kings. That's why it matters. So I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. During this time, the question I would ask is, Has, have I been distracted? 
and why? What am I distracted by? Am I distracted by the cost? Am I distracted by my past? (laughs) Am I distracted by what others might think? Or have I just gotten comfortable? I mean, if we're going to be real, sitting in a seat's way easier than going and sharing a message that people might reject. I mean, sitting in a seat's easier than going and living the lifestyle that's countercultural. But just like, I think, Elijah, Elisha, and the disciples would say, it was absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. So, dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. God, I just thank you that we can gather today. I thank you that we can meet. God, I thank you for baptisms. Thank you for salvations. I thank you for your word. God, and I pray that going into this next year, we would just trust you. That we would walk and take steps, even if it's one step at a time. That if we don't know, that we would run and we would pray and depend on you. Because that's what faith is. It's depending on you more than anything else. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Everybody say Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.